In our world in which we live, there are lots of crazy things going on, yes? And we seem like, man, if God really is in charge, why? What? Who's really in charge? So I want to go th with scripture. We're going to do some historical stuff through God's dealing with mankind through the ages to show that God, who we serve, the Almighty, he really is in charge, and it is victorious for us. That's where we're going to end up, right? Now, there's a word that we want to talk about. It's called oikonomia. It's house rule. It's translated dispensation many times. My premise is, if God really is in charge, does he have the right to decide how he deals with mankind? I say, yes, he does. <laughs> and oikonomia, house rule, dispensation, we're going to look at how God has, through the ages, dealt with mankind and offered himself to mankind in different ways. Okay? So stay with me as we look at who is in charge. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord and Heavenly Father, for you being the one who is most high, you being the one who is most wise, you being the one who is in charge. And you have offered to us to come into relationship with you and have an eternity that is secure. And we just praise your name for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read Psalms chapter 95 in its entirety. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his, and he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long I was grieved with this generation and said, It is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. We have here God in verse 3. In, in the Bible it is three Capital letters, G-O-D, that is L. It is the Almighty God. It is the Almighty who knows all things. He sees all. He performs all things for his people in whom all the divine attributes are concentrated. This is like the Almighty, the Most High. This is the God over all and a great king above all gods. It proclaims his position 
as creator. He made all the things. We listed it, right? All is his. He created it. It belongs to him. It, it proclaims him as the shepherd of his people. We have here a history lesson of Almighty God dealing with his people. He is the shepherd of his people. He has a very special relationship with these people. And it also shows us the results of their unbelief and their disobedience. We have here in verse 8, the last part of 7 and 8 and 9, it talks about in the day of temptation in the wilderness, the day of the provocation. That is Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto these people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before thee people and take with thee all the elders of Israel and they rod wherewith thou smotest the river. Take in thy hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shalt come out water of it, and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribeth because of the chiding of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? They doubted, didn't they? Here he, he showed them his majesty, he brought them out of Egypt. He's promised that they take them to a wonderful place. But they didn't believe him, and they chided, and they complained. Later on, they did it again. And Moses didn't listen to God. God told him, speak to the rock, and I'll give you water again. And he smote it. Moses didn't get to go into the place of rest where we read at the very end of Psalms 95 that they should not enter into my rest. How was, what was dependent upon this relationship with God for them to enter into the rest? They had to perform. They needed to obey. They needed to believe. They needed to do. They had a a responsibility in this covenant relationship, in this house rule, in this oikonomia. God said, I will bless you if you do this. You have a responsibility. These precious people, he calls them his precious treasure in Exodus. 
they had a responsibility to respond to Almighty God's offer of a covenant relationship with something of value. They had to enter into this covenant relationship, this house rule, this oikonomia of a covenant. If you do this, God says, I will bless you. And here we have in this history lesson in Psalms that they didn't. As a whole group, they didn't. They were disobedient. And he says that they should not enter into my rest. Moses didn't ever get to go into the promised land. He was judged. The whole generation of people who worked against God and didn't believe him, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They all died off. The ones who, who were young enough, they entered in. And who'd brought them in? Joshua. What did he do? He believed, and he did. He entered into this covenant relationship. God is dealing with mankind through this time under a covenant. It's a contract. In order for a contract to be effective, you have to give consideration. These people had to give to God their works. There was circumcision involved. There were sacrifices there were all kinds of things to demonstrate their belief, to seal this contract, to be part of this covenant relationship with Almighty God. Some might say, man, that's pretty mean, isn't it? Who are we talking about? We're talking about the creator of all things. Everything is his. Is he justified to do this? We read in Romans that Jesus Christ is the just and the justifier. He is proclaimed to be just. Almighty God has every right to set the rules. And the house rule under this time is a covenant relationship where people had to work. How many people use this chapter in Psalms and say, I'm one of his sheep, he's my shepherd. Well, no, the, con the context is not that. We're not, we have a different relationship, which we'll see here in a little bit. We have all through the ages, Almighty God, who is absolutely in charge, desiring for man to have a relationship with him. He sets the rules how that relationship can come about. During this time, it's in a covenant relationship. God offers it. Man needs to respond to do it. There's always an invitation to enter into this covenant relationship. Man fails over and over and over and over again. Here in this, in this scripture right here, at the end of verse 7 and verse 8, it's an invitation. Psalms 95, 7 and 8, the end of 7 and verse 8. It's an invitation of Almighty God, come back into this covenant relationship with me. Come, come. It says, today, if you will hear my voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation. These, uh, these uh, incidents where we just looked at in Exodus. The provocation as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. 
Come back. Don't harden your heart. Listen to my invitation. Come into this covenant relationship with me, and I will bless you. In verse 10, we have it listed that there is belief and doing things according to his ways. The very last of verse 10, it says, And they have not known my ways. I'll read all of verse 10. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation. Now we read generation and we think of a time period, right? My generation, my parents were a generation. It's talking about a bloodline, a people. This, these, these people, all through this time, God having this covenant relationship with them. All through this time, I, he has been grieved with these people. Why? Is the people that do err in their heart, they don't believe, and they have not known my ways. They have not done my ways. They're not giving their part of this covenant relationship. The, co the contract can't be fulfilled because they're not doing the part that is theirs. They must do their part, which is theirs. They agreed to it. Mount Sinai. In Exodus, after they came out and the Mosaic law was given to them, what did they say? We'll do it. We'll do it. Yes, we will. God's promise was to them, if you do, you will be my kingdom of priests. What do priests do? They represent, they, they uh, mediate between God and man. That was their job. That was part of their, their uh, consideration to complete this contract under this covenant relationship that they had with the almighty God who is in charge. So you might say, man, that's, uh, that's, pretty, that's pretty hard, isn't it? Okay, I believe you, God, but I really, I don't think I can do this stuff. I'm a sinner. I can't. So what do we do with that? We look at scripture. Do we have anyone in scripture who God proclaims to have accomplished this? Any takers? Tim knows where we're going. Luke chapter 1 verses 5 and 6. And there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia, and his wife was one of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments of the, and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. If God says, here's an example, that it's possible, it must really be possible. God is in charge. He didn't give an impossible task to people. We have an example here. This, these are the parents of who is going to be John the baptizer, the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. They believed. They were priests. They were in the, in the work of the temple. They were, they were not 
the ones who were just doing stuff. The Lord came to the earth and he, he uh, condemned some Pharisees and said, you whited sepulchers. They were doing stuff, right? They were doing things, but they didn't believe. Their heart wasn't right. The Lord could see that. He knew. He called them whited sepulchers. You're empty inside. You look all okay on the outside. But that's not all there is. You have not completed the whole part of your consideration in this covenant relationship. Your whited sepulchers. He condemned them. But here we have an example of those who could do it. It was possible to do this. During the Lord's earthly ministry, he issued invitations. Come. Come back into this covenant relationship with Almighty God. Let's go to John chapter 3. I'm going to read the first five verses. There was a man of the Pharisees were they? They were the ones who kept the law like, whew, like kept the law. A man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Nicodemus knew the scriptures. He knew that this was foretold. This was prophesied. The things that the Lord Jesus Christ was doing, it proved that he came from God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Hmm. Nicodemus, scratching his head, said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? The other, last night we were having supper. Izzy told Diana and I, but you're old. We were talking about the time passing by, you know. But you're old. We don't look that way. I get up and look in the mirror and say, who is that? Oh, anyway, I digress. Verse 4, Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. My premise is these two things that the Lord told him, born of water and of the Spirit, that's part of the covenant relationship. This is part of their consideration. This is what they're supposed to do. And we have proof. We could go to Ezekiel 36. We're going to start at verse 25. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, 
and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And ye shall keep my judgments and do, and ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. Jesus was inviting Nicodemus, come back into this covenant relationship. These things, the spirit and the water, they're part of your consideration. Come back. Come back. And the invitation is to Israel nationally. We have another invitation in Acts chapter 2. What we call Pentecost. Here's a, here's a question. Pentecost. We've heard this quite often from this pulpit. Is that something new? The, the uh, festival of Pentecost? Where'd that come from? Is it something that the apostles made up? No. It's 50. Penta is 50. 50 days after the Passover. This is a Jewish festival. Why were all these people in Jerusalem? Because they were required under the law, part of this covenant relationship with Almighty God, to come and participate in this festival. It's all Jewish. It's all Jewish. Exodus 2, 22 and 23, I'm going to read first. Ye men of Israel, that tells us who it's addressed to, isn't it? Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God. If people were up on their prophecy like Nicodemus was, they would have been looking for a Messiah. Nicodemus knew that the things that this person was doing fulfilled prophecy. He must be from God. If they're looking for this fulfillment of prophecy, which I don't think a whole bunch of them were, but that's an aside. They'd be looking for someone who's approved of God. Here, Peter tells them who it is. He puts a face on the one who's going to fulfill, who's fulfilled these prophecies. It's this Jesus of Nazareth. Whoa, that's a surprise. Jesus of Nazareth? He is a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you. Who's in charge? Almighty God, in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, who's in charge? God. Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain the Messiah that came and fulfilled all these prophecies. The one you should be looking for, and some of you have been, you killed him. Let's go to verse 37 to 41. He condemns them. We've gone over this many times. Peter 
has, preaches a condemnation. He's the prosecuting attorney against Israel. You guys that have this covenant relationship with Almighty God really messed up. You killed the one you've been waiting for. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, he issued yet another invitation. Come in, come back, come back into this covenant relationship with Almighty God. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. What do we read in Ezekiel? Sprinkle with clean water and the Spirit. What did the Lord tell Nicodemus? Unless you're born of water and the Spirit. It's all about this covenant relationship. Come back. He's begging. He's inviting. He said, Come back. Come back. So in this, in this, in this uh, time period here, we're going to look in Acts chapter 3 also. And it's all, this whole time. And it, it makes a statement here that there were, I probably was going to read more. I was going to read to 41, wasn't I? <clears throat> Excuse me. For their missions, of, verse 39 is where I am. For the promises unto you and to your children and, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. What did we read in, in Psalms 95 about this generation? I'm tired of them. They keep doing this. Here we have this untoward generation. Then they all that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. The little words are very important. He, it was added to. There's not, and we've talked about this many times, this is not something new that's being created at the, on the day of Pentecost. It's added to. And it's added to, it has a number of 3,000 souls. And we read that and say, wow, that's a lot of people, right? I looked up some, some information and granted, it was online, so take it with a grain of salt. But how, what probably was the population of Jerusalem at this time? And the number that I found was 30,000. Now that's, from what I read, it seemed like that's the number of people who resided there. We have this festival, this Pentecost festival, all kinds of people are coming. We read here that he will, he will go to those who are far off. That's what he's talking about. People are here. They live somewhere else. They're still Jewish. They're still in this covenant relationship. If they came to the festival of, of Pentecost, what were they doing? They were participating in this covenant relationship, right? So it could be many more than 30,000. And 3,000 were added. Right? It's like, what, 10%? That's, that's one thing that I keep thinking about. We often say 
the Jewish people they're looking for their Messiah, right? Well, how many? Percentage-wise, do you think? How many were just in their daily lives? How many were performing like the whited sepulchers? They were just doing the stuff, you know? How many? Probably a remnant, probably a very small number. How many in our country today are seriously seeking Almighty God who is actually in charge? Very few, right? Yeah. I don't think we can say that Israel was looking for their Messiah. Some, yes. Nicodemus was an example. He understood the, the, the uh, fulfillment of these prophecies. Yeah, he, you must be from God because I see what you're doing. So I don't think it was a whole bunch of people that were added to something that was already there. It was people that were in this covenant relationship with the Almighty God. Chapter 3 of Acts 19 and 20. Here we have Peter giving another speech in the same time period, I believe. And he has more details. He says, repent ye therefore and be converted. He's already done his, his uh, prosecuting attorney thing and explained to people what happened, who Jesus really, who the Messiah was. It was this Jesus, and you killed him. He's the prince of life, is, is the title in verse 15. In verse 19, he says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which was before, which before was preached unto you. He identifies the one who was preached before as this Jesus Christ. You guys are surprised, aren't you? This is the one. Jesus of Nazareth. He was the one. So we have yet another, in verse 19, an invitation. Come back into this covenant relationship with me. Fulfill it. Give your consideration. Come back. Come back. Repent and be converted. That your sins may be blotted out when you believe. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Is that the same or different than our promise today? It's different, isn't it? It's under a different program. This is under the covenant program, this kingdom, this present, this coming of the Lord, this refreshing, this rest. At the very end of Psalms 95, it says that the Lord, my wrath was against them and they didn't enter into my rest. Those people who disobeyed in the wilderness, including Moses, they didn't enter into my rest. Here's an invitation for people to enter in to his rest. It's this covenant relationship different than under which we live today. 
Let's go to Acts 13. That was all history. Now we're in today. Acts 13, I'm going to read 38 to 41. We have here the Apostle Paul preaching what is his first recorded sermon. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, Jesus Christ, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him, all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Now we got something that's different, don't we? It's not an invitation to come into this covenant relationship. It's not an invitation to be water baptized, to participate in the law, to give of your consideration, your half, of this contract. This is something very, very different. Through this, to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. It's absolutely something different. There's a whole new oikonomia. There's a whole new House rule. There's a whole new way of Almighty God dealing with mankind. His invitation has changed. His invitation is not come into this covenant relationship with me. His invitation is believe that through Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, you have eternal life. You can be cleansed of your sins. It's not a cleansing with, with clean water like we read in Ezekiel. It's a cleansing by the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 40. And by, all, and by him all that believe are justified from all things which could not be justified by the law of Moses. <laughs> Beware therefore lest that, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets, behold, ye despisers, and wonder, and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. Things have changed. God's way of dealing with mankind has changed. And man struggles with that. And we have proof of that. Second Peter, chapter three. And you guys probably know which verse I'm going to, but I don't yet. Oh, I'm going to read nine. Yep, it helped if it wasn't too. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, 
but all but that all should come to repentance. The same principle is going on. God is Almighty God. He's in charge. Issuing the invitation. Issuing the invitation. This is written by Peter. It's written to those who are still in a covenant relationship. It's going to be particularly useful after we're out of here and this world is going on and God returns to dealing with mankind through that program of a covenant relationship. People were worried that things were happening according to prophecy. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Peter writes to them and tells them, the Lord is not slack. They're saying, why, isn't thing, why aren't things happening? The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's reissued this invitation to them. Come back into this covenant relationship with me. Verse 15 and 16. But things are, things are going on at the same time. Pastor Rick has been teaching us and showing us that there were things going on at the same time. This covenant relationship was degrading. The church, the body of Christ, is established and building. Downstairs and on Sunday mornings, we've been going through Ephesians, which is like a pinnacle of our relationship with God under grace. That didn't happen overnight. Things build. Okay? So people are wondering, why? What's going on here? Peter refers them in verse 15. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. And also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which is they that are unlearned and unstable, rest, as they do also the other scriptures, this is so sad, unto their own destruction. How many today are attempting, trying so hard, legitimately trying, sincerely believing that they can have access to Almighty God the one in charge through this covenant relationship. God has set that aside. That program is not. Downstairs, we just looked at verse 13 of chapter 2. But now, it's a whole new oikonomia. It's a whole new way that God is dealing with mankind through grace through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, not through this covenant relationship where man had to offer and give this consideration to make the contract legal. God's invitation to us, 
all people who live today. He's not stopped inviting. His program, his oikonomia, his house rule is different than it was through all those ages. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read a little lengthy from 11 till 22. I'm going to read. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called a circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Some might say, how could God be so mean? If we refer to Romans chapter 1, verse 28, it explains, man did not desire to have God in their knowledge. God was just giving man what he wanted. And he didn't leave them without a remedy. He always invited. Downstairs in Sunday school, we, we looked at uh, Genesis chapter 12, where the instructions for the Passover are given. Included in those instructions are for those who are sojourners, strangers, someone who's not of Israel, someone who is a stranger from the covenants of promise to come into that relationship through that covenant promise. They had to give a consideration to enter into it. Verse 13, but now in Christ, Ye who sometimes were far made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who hath made, made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. All involved in the covenant relationship was the law and the things that they did. Here we have explicitly said, he abolished all that. It cannot be that way to get a relationship with God under this oikonomia, under this house rule, in this dispensation of the grace of God. Verse 16, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you, which were far off, and to them that were nigh, both the circumcision, both the uncircumcision. All the same. All the same. Believe in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. For Verse 18. For through him we, have, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Some may point to that verse and say, see? We've just been added into Israel. And then they ignore the verses that we just read that said all that was abolished and put away. It's a new thing. It's not part of Israel. It's not a part of this covenant relationship. It's a new house rule. It's a new thing. For through him, uh, 19, for now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. 
and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together and groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. No longer do we go to a temple to access God. We, we the church of God of Christ, are a habitation of God through the Spirit. Romans 4, 20, 25. We got time. I just love this because I think it explains so well to me what faith really is. Romans 4, 20 through 25. He, he's talking about Abram. In this context, his name is Abraham, but the event that we are referencing, he's still Abram. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. And what did he do? Who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. I am fully persuaded that what God has promised, he's also able to perform. He has invited everyone to simply believe that his son, his holy, righteous, perfect Lamb of God, died for our offenses. He was buried. He rose again for our justification. Oh, we're coming up on the celebration of his resurrection when we specifically uh, celebrate it. Without that, we wouldn't be justified. We would not stand before God in our position. Don't try to achieve eternal life under a program that is not in effect at this time. This covenant relationship with God is not in effect at this time. We are under grace, not under law. God invites us all, just believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and he rose again, and you have eternal life. I am fully persuaded. <laughs> he is able to perform. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord and Heavenly Father, for your matchless grace, for your mercy to us. We pray that those here today understand our position as being free to come to you by grace. We have no consideration to give. We don't have to offer things of value, sacrifices, our good behavior, a water baptism. That doesn't work. The only thing that works is believing, trusting in the finished work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we praise your name for that. We pray that you will guide and direct us 
as we go out into this world, we pass under the sign on our door that says we are now entering the mission field. Give us opportunity. Give us strength. Give us courage to proclaim to this lost and dying world that you are in charge and you invite us to eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.